welcome back to State of Mind. I'm Grace Kingswell and I'm a nutritional therapist, cold water swimmer and nature lover. I swear this introduction changes every time. I believe that we can gain so much power and understanding from tuning in and listening to our bodies, from reconnecting with nature and with those around us. I help my patients heal from gut health issues, hormonal imbalances and fatty diets, but I also encourage them to step up for their own health, to be an active participant in that journey and to be their own best doctor. This is why I'm so excited to bring you an episode today with Tom Parry. Tom is the director of Live Long LTD, a wellness clinic in Suffolk dedicated to helping people to live a long, engaged life. The practice is home to osteopaths, Pilates instructors, nutritionists, and more. And they hold regular Wim Hof breath and ice workshops. You might have seen on my Instagram that I did my first ever ice bath experience with Tom when I went to meet him for the podcast. And that's because he's a professional Wim Hof instructor. It was my first experience of breath work too, which was amazing and completely uplifting. We talk a lot in this episode about taking responsibility for your own health, and I came away feeling uplifted and inspired, and I hope you do too. If you enjoy the episode and you haven't already, I would be so grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes as it really helps to get the podcast into more people's ears. So on with the episode. Tom Parry. Hi, Tom. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, tell us a little bit about where we are right now. What, what's this build, amazing, actually, building that we're sitting in? Yes, yeah, so this is one of our practices here in Suffolk. It's a health and wellness practice. We cover off osteopathy, podiatry, yoga, Pilates, um, soon to be nutrition, which would be quite cool. Um, we set up about four years ago with me and a, a masseuse and a receptionist. And over that last four years, we've been growing a number of practitioners and developing a practice that we can help people ultimately learn more about their health. Mm. Because I firmly believe that education is at the root of health. Yeah. And so many people don't really understand what they're moving around in every single day. If we can teach them, they can actually take it away from here and learn to be healthier and come and tell us what their problem is, which we find more and more, which is great. Amazing. Um, and before we delve into kind of everything you do and breath work and ice baths and all of that, um, I always ask everyone the first question, which is what's the last thing you did that positively impacted your health? My walk this morning with my dogs. I so love that. At sunrise. Yeah. So you get up really early, don't you? Inappropriately early, some might say. Like kind of we're talking 5 a.m. or? Most days. Yeah. Or just whenever the sun rises? Generally at 5 a.m. Um, yeah, get up, walk the dogs. And if I'm at this time of year, the sunrise has just gone six o'clock. So mm. you get some pretty special colours in the sky. But in June, it's before I get up. Mm. And that's quite nice as well. And is that something you've been doing? Have you always woken up that early? Or is this something you've consciously factored into your daily routine? I've always been an early bird, um, much to the uh, disdain of my family at times. Um, so mind you, my wife and daughter don't mind, but my parents and siblings when I was a kid did. Mm. So yeah, I've always been up early and I just like being up early. And it's that quiet time at the start of the day for me mm. because the rest of my day, once I get to work, it's flat out. Mm. And then I get home and it's bedtime, bath time with my daughter and then dinner and all that. And suddenly you go to bed again. Yeah. So the morning is that time for me. And you try and get to bed kind of 9 p.m. to... to mm, something like that. Some <laughs> of these people that doesn't need to sleep very much. Uh, jealous. I'm very jealous. I don't about need to sleep. I can cope with a lack of sleep okay. for a period of time. Okay. Um, and that's something I've trained. But I can sleep anywhere as well. 
So I'm that irritating guy that can sleep on a plane before we take off. Okay. Um, and I used to play a lot of hockey. And for a training weekend, we'd be two hours on, two hours off from eight o'clock in the morning for a whole weekend. So when you're two hours off, you had to rest. Yeah. So I just learned to sleep. Um, so yeah, I, I like getting up at the same time. And it doesn't, I try to keep it the same time I get up rather than the same time I go to bed. Mm. Um, just because if I went to bed at nine o'clock, I'd never see my wife. Mm. And that's not okay. So I, if I get up at the same time and keep that consistency, that mm. works for me. And tonight I'll be in bed probably a bit earlier than normally I would be. Mm. And then tomorrow's Sunday, so hopefully the same. And I can, yeah, it swings and roundabouts. So I'm not a perfect sleeper. But a very good one by the sound. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I find sleep is probably the most impactful health tool that we pro- we all have in our armory. And yet I think everyone underuses it significantly because it's almost as if it's like... Um, kind of a macho thing to forego absolutely like, oh i'm so tired I today don't need sleep. Yeah, you do. yeah like i only <laughs> i can get by on four hours it's like well maybe you think you can but let me tell you what's happening in your body on a cellular level <laughs> and i think that's the point and it's for me it's about what works for you and mm. what works for me because i know i can survive on four hours sleep for a very short period of time but for me anywhere between five and six is my perfect more than seven and a half I'm too a much way too much i feel hungover <clears throat> wow straight away and it's yeah so if i get to the weekends and i have a lion which is eight o'clock i'm gonna get up yeah. otherwise i know i'll feel rubbish later yeah so let's wind back the clocks a little bit um i'd love to know a bit more about you as a person so mm-hmm. as i said in the intro guys you will have heard um tom sort of runs this amazing wellness clinic uh in the suffolk countryside where they do a lot of um, Wim Hof related ice baths mm-hmm. and uh, breathwork sessions. Um, they've got loads of osteopaths here and they do yoga and courses. And have, I mean, how did you get to this point? I mean, have you always been, you know, this vision of health or has this been a kind of journey for you and a process? Talk us through, yeah, how you got to where you are today. Definitely a process. Uh, I was never the perfect academic student at school at all. I was always playing sport. I played a lot of hockey to high level as a junior. Mm. So sport was always my main focus. Got the grades eventually to get through to uni and stuff. But my dad was a surgeon. My granddad was a surgeon before that. My mum was a nurse. So medicine's always been around me growing up. Um, and I just remember doing my AS levels at 17. Didn't get the best grades, but I just went, I just don't want to go to university. Mm. If it's just to go and do some degree that every other sucker's going to go and do... And then I leave it and we're all in the same position and I'm and what that job much am I in debt. Get? Exactly. Yeah. And, and all I could tell you at 17 was, I do not want to sit behind a computer all my life. I can't do it. Mm. Um, so I thought about the forces. I thought about traveling. Um, I still remember the conversation with my folks um, at my old house and sat on the patio and said, look, I, I'm not going to apply to uni in September. And, you know, two parents that put me through school and stuff, they took a breath and went, okay, mm. right? And my dad just sat there and went, you want to get a job? That's fine. But you start paying rent because you pay rent here or you pay rent somewhere else. Yeah. And he said, it's up to you, we don't mind. And I was like, wow. And then um, a family friend at the time was an osteopath, suggested I come and do some work experience. I went in, it looked fun. Um, you know, he had a nice life, nice house, and you know, mm. all the material trappings. Um, so loosely applied to uni on that basis of, I don't have to sit behind a computer, I get to chat to people all day, which I enjoy doing, and I could take it down the sporting route, which would be great fun. Mm. Uh, managed to get into uni went the first term and I was like what have I done oh no (laughs) it was like 26 hours of lectures a week and there's my sister studying history doing six hours of lectures a week and telling me oh well no but I have to do all this work in the library I'm so do I Mm. um 
so a bit of a culture shock for somebody that thought uni was a bit of a DOS. And I, I got into the second term and I'd started playing hockey again, having had a term off. And I got into clinic and I was like, aha, this is why I'm here. Right. And it was that personal interaction with a patient. How can I help you? Mm. So, yeah, fast forward four years at uni, loved it, really enjoyed the whole process. And then all the way through training, I was doing work experience up here in Suffolk at a practice. They offered me a job on that basis. And yeah, suddenly that was 11 years ago. And I now run two, almost three practices here in Suffolk. That's um, so great. Yeah. And it's been amazing because like with many careers, I think you can, you can define your own destiny. Being corporate, I don't know. You know, I've got friends that mm. do corporate and, and their journeys are not set out in front of them, but there's people that have done it all before. And in, the same in here, but being self-employed, you can go, right, what do I want to do now? So when I first came out of uni, I had uh, an osteopathic mentor who was also an acupuncturist, uh, who I still work with to this day. Um, and he's, yeah, he's like my Yoda, really. Um, mm. He's brilliant. He's, his first port of call ever since I've known him has been, how can I further Tom Parry the human being, not Tom Parry the osteopath? And I think that to me has been the biggest lesson he's taught me is mm. that we deal with human beings and we all have labels of what we are and what we do and what we like to try and be. But who are you underneath it all? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been really lucky. And I've gone from an osteopath who then went and studied some acupuncture and then more acupuncture, did some really cool sporting jobs, but didn't find that's what I was really looking for. Um, and then I carried on. And then you do things like read into psychology and neurology and things like communication and understand more and more what the the mentality is having an effect on the physical being mm. and then over the last two and a half almost three years now breathwork's been a really intense kind of deep dive for me um can you just explain to anyone listening sorry that's maybe unfamiliar with breathwork as a concept sure, yeah. what what that means to to practice it so fundamentally we all need to breathe to survive you come into this world and the first thing you do is take a breath in and every new parent listens for a cry, but actually, that's actually the second thing a child has done. They've breathed out for the first time when they're crying. Mm. When we leave this world, we breathe out for the last time. And it is as fundamental as that. So you mentioned sleep earlier. And I was thinking about this after you sent me through some questions the other day. And I was thinking, right, what, what does underpin it? And I, sleep does underpin a massive part of health. But what's below sleep is still breathing. Mm. Um, food is important, but you're not eating if you're not breathing. So breath work is about understanding the power of your breath being able to understand where you currently sit with your breath and how you can change it for changing your physiology and changing your state mm. so allowing you to find health through your breath mm. i would love for you just to explain to to those listening the difference between um the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system and how different types of breathing um can affect and and yeah, change those two states and what that means for our body and for our health. Yeah, okay. So the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems are, they're underneath the umbrella of the autonomic nervous system. So all things we don't consciously control and breath is one of those things, heart rate, blood pressure, um, sweating, for example, all those things we don't consciously have to think of and the body just looks after you. Oh my God, can you imagine if you could just be like, I'm not going to sweat today on a 30 degree day <laughs> in London. Me. I think of exercise and I start sweating. So yeah, uh, yeah that would be brilliant. <laughs> um, I've not quite managed that one yet. I'll work on it. But um, so yeah, the sympathetic nervous system is that fear, flight, fright response that we have. So um, tiger jumps into the room, 
heart rate goes up. You don't think about digesting food. Your body doesn't think about digesting food. It moves blood from your internal organs and to those power muscles so you can leave as quickly as is possible. Heart rate goes up, as I say, so it's stressing. You're getting more oxygen in, so you're ready to go. The parasympathetic nervous system is the direct opposite, and it's all about rest and digest, chilling out, and the blood moves from those kind of big power muscles into the guts and just relaxes you, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, at no point are you just sympathetic or just parasympathetic. It's the constantly moving beast, and I think that's where some people get a bit hung up. They go, I want to become parasympathetic. I'm like, well, one end of parasympathetic is actually going to sleep and not waking up. Yeah. The other end of sympathetic is getting so wide you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, and also let's not forget that we actually wouldn't be here as humans if we didn't have that stress response. Stress is great. Yeah. Stress is inherently being human. Mm. Yeah, if people drop stress from their lives, it would be, I mean, just dull, I guess, because... We, no one would get anything done. No, not at all. <laughs> exactly. We all need deadlines. And, you know, people talk about, and I was always last minute Jack when it came to, like, getting things done. But it's just because you need that deadline to have the stress response to make you do it. Mm. Um there's two different kinds of stress. There's eustress and de-stress, so good and bad stress. Mm. The thing is, as a human entity, we are designed to need stress to survive. The thing is, historically, primal man had acute stressors. So you had a massive stress response of adrenaline and cortisol that spiked up really high and then it dropped back down again mm. in a very short window of time. More modern lifestyles create a chronic stress response, which is a heightened stress release of cortisol and adrenaline again, and it maintains that level. We need to bring it back down. Mm. So using your breath, you can actually regulate that. Using the ice, you can do that. You initiate a short-term stressor to then drop it down the other side of it again very quickly Mm. and elicit a massive host of health benefits from your body. So how does the breath get us into that rest, digest, parasympathetic state? Slowing it down. The simplest way to enter more of a parasympathetic state is to take a breathing cadence of breathe in for four and out for six. Yeah. So, so the longer exhale, the exhale, yeah. the quicker you're going to go into a parasympathetic state. Uh, some of the research shows if you do that four in, six out for a minute, you immediately start entering a more parasympathetic state. Conversely, if you want to become a sympathetic state, then shorter, sharper, that starts increasing heart rate. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly your energy levels increase. Mm-hmm. So with the, um, let's just talk a little bit about Wim Hof, yep. the Iceman. The Iceman himself. Um, guys, for those of you listening that are like, what? Wim Hof is a pretty eccentric dude who has figured out a way to kind of control his autonomic nervous system, right? Through the power of breath and yeah. using very cold water. Very cold water. Very cold water, the Iceman. Um, so he's developed this kind of breathing technique that you would do before you then went and sat in an ice bath which basically helps you to um learn how to adapt your stress response right so to to kind of to understand when you're in a stress state and then to be able to use those practices to bring it back down yeah um what is the breath that you do before you get into the ice is it um a very calming parasympathetic breath or is it um a kind of more like you were just doing a kind of panting that gets you certain amount of the way to the eventual stress that you'll feel when you get into the ice. Yeah, so you don't make the jump too big. Uh, no, not quite. It's So the breath work that you do with Wim Hof and the fundamental breath work you do is all around breathing in and out for about 30 to 40 times. And on the last exhale, you hold your breath for as long as is comfortable. Mm-hmm. When you feel that urge to breathe, you take one full breath in 
hold it at the top for 15 seconds, and then you go into the next round. Okay. Now, what they've shown is that elicits that holding the breath, that retention time, because you get to that point where you need to breathe and the body needs it, you elicit a stress response. Yeah. So you're creating um, a neurological and physiological shift each time you do that. You do three to four rounds, depending on how you're feeling. You wouldn't do that in the ice at all. Mm-hmm. You could do it just before, absolutely. You could do it up to six hours before you go into the ice, and that still gives you the benefit before you get into the ice. So one of the things it does is it creates a more alkaline shift uh, within your blood's pH, which in turn down-regulates the amygdala, the pain perception part of your brain. And in down-regulating that, it, it basically turns the volume down on pain. So then when you get into the cold, because it is painful, mm. like cold is nasty mm. but it's the other side of cold it's like if yeah, ever you've really done a PT session I'm really excited about the ice bath <laughs> yeah, I'm about to I'm do really selling it at this point <laughs> yeah um, if ever you've done a PT session I mean you can hate your PT but mm. it's in the hour you're with them but when you finish you're like god I feel like a monster this is amazing yeah yeah it's exactly the same when you've done an ice bath it's not necessarily pleasant and some people say they get used to it I agree to a certain extent. Mm. The problem is your physiology is totally different. One, every minute of the day, but every day on day. So like how much sleep did you get last night? Mm. You know, if you didn't get much sleep, you're going to have more inflammation. You're not going to be as resilient. Have you eaten today? You know, have Mm. you eaten a big breakfast or a small breakfast? Um, Have you had coffee? Have you had a stressful week? You know, all these variables will affect how you feel in the ice day on day. Yeah. The key thing about the Wim Hof method is just about feeling. And it is as simple as that. It's taking your body with the breath to a point where you're stressing it and you're connecting back to your body. You're getting out of those, you know, have I done this email? Have I sent this letter? You know, what am I having for dinner? And you're concentrating on feeling your body. Mm. And it's exactly the same as the the ice. Mm. And one of Wim's key phrases he uses when you're with him and, and online is, you know, feeling is understanding. I've tried different style meditation practices from, you know, as a teenager trying to just focus on a, the image of a candle in my head and really struggling to empty the mind. And I speak to some people that can do it. And I really struggle just to quiet my mind mm. because. But you life can do it busy. in the ice. The ice doesn't give you the option. Yeah. <laughs> you literally, you get into the ice and you don't think about anything else. Mm. You think about how cold it is. And then that's where doing it under instructions really healthy because me outside of the ice can say, right, and control your breathing. And I can take you to a place where you will just, li- you'll hear me. You won't necessarily see me yeah. in, immediately, but once you've taken control, you're there. Yeah. And you'll see me, your eyes will open, you'll smile, we'll make a joke or whatever, mm. and you go, oh, okay, I'm all right. And mm. then you can get out. That could take two seconds, could take two minutes. But when you're first using the ice, I would only ever get anybody using it for about two minutes in the first instance because it's not about how cold you can go. Mm. It's actually about eliciting a stress response which happens below 16 degrees for the thermoregulatory receptors in your skin. So you don't need to get into water that's four degrees. If you get in below 16 degrees, then that's going to elicit a response, whether it's hard for you or not. It may Mm. take you 20 seconds still to take control, but taking control is the big thing. But to take control, you have to let go. Yeah. And is, is... That's absolutely fascinating. Is is the idea that the more you do this, the more you can then use the techniques you learnt, the the getting into um, being able to take control and bring that into your everyday life so that when you then encounter stress on a daily basis, like, oh my goodness, I've just got this email from my boss, he sounds really unhappy, and you're panicking at your desk. Do you then use those fundamentals to kind of get you through that? Or is it just something that you do literally when you're in the ice? No, it's a fundamental. So it ingrains a habit that like anything you've got to train so if you train a stressful situation in a controlled environment with the ice or with the breath when you then come to a traffic jam or your boss is sending you an email or on the phone 
you just, it's about teaching you to recognize your state. So if you can recognize, I am getting stressed, I'm becoming more sympathetically aroused. Right, okay, how do I calm that down? I just breathe. Mm. Okay, so I breathe gently and I control it. When you get stressed, what happens in your brain is you shut down the prefrontal cortex. So your rational, logical brain switches off. And we've all had that moment where, where are my keys? Where are my keys? Oh my God, I can't find them. I'm trying to get out of the house. Oh, they're right there. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't see them. Mm. Your logical brain is switched off for a moment. So if that happens in a meeting, if that happens when you are you know, in a stressful situation and you're trying to close a deal, for example, then you could make a terrible decision yeah. right at the last minute. Sport, exactly the same. Yeah. You know, how many games are won in that last little bit? Because their physical and emotional stressor is really high. They're all waiting for the whistle. Da, da, da. They're not thinking. Something, something comes in and bang, that's what I got. And they've just lost the game. Yeah. So if you can recognize in that moment, and it's not about sitting down and you know, shutting all the lights off and, okay, right, how do I, how do I feel now? Mm. It's about <laughs> training your response as quickly as possible. So it, it is, it's like a habit. It's anybody that's played sport, you train your basics, whether you are an amateur that's just picked up a hockey stick, for example, that was always my sport, or you're an Olympic athlete. Yeah. Every single level can train their basics and breath is about as basic as it gets. So if you can train that, your body begins to do it automatically. Mm. Um, the muscles in your body, you can train the neuromuscular firing patterns over a six-week period. So if you train yourself to do this for six weeks, your body will neurologically learn to do it without you thinking. Again, the autonomic nervous system kicks in and it takes control. Yeah. Um, and more and more, I find those situations where I'm you know, going through a stressful state. It's like, okay, but I'm okay. I'm in control. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how, how has this played out in your personal life? So... Uh, there was a, I'm just thinking now of a time I was on the phone um, to somebody. I can't remember what they supplied to us. Um, anyway, I was having a go at this poor girl. And I, I apologised to her. Well, no, I didn't apologise. I explained to her I didn't think it was her fault. But her directors needed to get on the phone because they weren't providing the service we were paying a lot of money for. And she had all these reasons why this and why that. And I was totally in control. And I just had an answer each time mm. I wasn't losing I wasn't shouting I was just talking as we are now so it's just not good enough you need to sort it out and she was blessed getting really stressed mm. so that's the last time I can think of doing it and that was a few weeks back or in fact when um, uh, a good mate of mine got married a couple of weeks ago and I was one of the two best men 180 people giving a speech never spoke to that many people before and before I went on just took a breath one breath just whew, I know where I'm at I've got this. Mm. And those simple situations do the job every time. Yeah. Just strikes me as you're talking that there could be so much value from teaching breath work in schools to, to kids that are about to sit their A-levels. Like I'm just thinking about the st most stressful. Young. Yeah. Start even younger. I mean, my daughter a little while ago, this is one of those really like we're winning at parenting moments. Mm. Um, <laughs> we were at some friend's house and the, one of the other girls had a bit of a meltdown because my daughter was on their trampoline. And she came running in, running in, daddy, 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 what's that? This little girl's name, she goes, she just needs to breathe. And I'm like, oh my God, you're amazing. <laughs> like, because it's, yeah. they just learn. And if she can learn now, think of the power she'll have when she is doing her A-levels. Yeah, that yeah. won't even be a problem. No. And I think they are starting to teach some of this stuff in schools. But I, I do really believe kids should be learning this stuff from day dot. I mean, my daughter... I'll show you a video later. She was in one of my ice baths at home the other day. Mm. It wasn't cold before people start worrying about it, but it was just <laughs> You're a terrible normal, father. Yeah, a terrible father <laughs> now. Uh, yeah, it just had normal um, hose water in, but she was in there kind of breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out, telling us what to do because she watched us do it. Mm. So I don't think it's about teaching kids. It's just showing them. Yeah. Um, she does breathing techniques with her teddies at bedtime. 
to calm her down. We all mm. do it. So, right, breathe in and all the way out. She probably she sleeps amazingly. Mm. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. More so now. Yeah. <laughs> there was a time. Um, Incredible. Yeah, it, kids definitely need teaching this stuff. Mm. It's so important. And in terms of, because obviously here at Hintelbahn Live Long, um, you guys have a lot of kind of complementary therapies. Like you were saying, you're trained in acupuncture yep. and... What place do you feel that um, natural healing and, and kind of natural medicine has in our current context of let's just give everyone a tablet for everything? Um, I think it should underpin it. I think that should be the start point, really, because as I said earlier, I come from a medical family, um, but medicine has its place, don't get me wrong. It's amazing. Mm. But if we think about, about what the... NHS was set up for was acute healthcare, not chronic healthcare issues. Yeah, and really that's but it's what's cha- it's totally flipped on its head, hasn't absolutely. it? Well, that's why it struggles. That's mm. why people complain about the NHS, and I won't have it. I'm like, no, no, no. The NHS is amazing. Heart heart problems, cancers, you know, car crashes. The NHS is regularly voted the number one health healthcare system in the world. Mm. We are privileged to have it. The problem is, as a population, the pressure we put on it is breaking it. And, I think and we do that via our lifestyles, our unhealthy... Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, you know, my granddad um, got a fellowship many moons ago back in the 50s to the Mayo Clinic in America. But back then, lifestyle disease was not a thing. But if you think about what disease is, it's just dis-ease. So it's lifestyle dis-ease. Mm. So how do we change that? Mm. Well, that starts with the individual. Yeah. And I think things like acupuncture, things like nutrition, things like breathing, things like osteopathy... It's very low risk. It's very, very beneficial. And it's so simple to implement. Mm. And I think we are maybe a generation that expects somebody else to fix us. And that accountability has been lost somewhere. Mm. And we go to the GP and go, right, okay, you know, can you fix this? Or take a pill. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, the GP's terrible. Well, no, they're a general practice. So true. They don't know all the answers. They're fighting fires and trying to catch the people that are really about to die yeah. and trying to get them to the right place. You know, they're looking for that all the time. They're not there for back pain. You know, mm. A&E is not there for back pain. So why is it that we ask them to do that all the time? Mm. I don't know. I think that, I think accountability and getting people to understand that they are in control of their own body is vital mm. if we want to move health forwards again. And what, what would you say, and this is quite a big question, but if you were to, to kind of think about what is the secret to a long and healthy life in, in your view? And, and, you know, what are the main things that are that kind of causing us the most issues as as a race like is it stress is it lack of sleep is it poor diet and you know how do we end up at something that's practical for most for everyone but easy to implement which will enable us to just live healthier lives yeah I mean at a base level it should be simple Mm. I think the lives we lead make it difficult and you know marketing is brilliant so you can you can pick up a ready meal and stuff like that chuck in the oven it's quicker than cooking yourself but actually cooking a meal from scratch one it relieves stress because you have to slow down a little bit you're not running at a million miles an hour but two it's always going to be healthier Mm. there's no question you control exactly what goes in your food sleep a bit more it's going to help breathing move every single day we all sit still for so long whether it's driving up from london whether it's just sat at a desk whether we sit down on a sofa you know if you think of you know we were talking about commuting earlier when mm. you got here and if you get on a train from Suffolk in the morning at six o'clock you're on the train for an hour then you go to your office you spend maybe 10 hours a day there sat down yeah and then you walk back to the train and you sit down another hour home yeah and then you get 
back home and you sit down for dinner and then watch TV. Yeah. When have you actually moved? And I know. It's moving. Don't they call it the disease of our time, I think, this kind of sedentary lifestyle? Yeah. It's, uh, it's really scary, actually. Terrifying. And it's, it's so easy to combat, but we all expect somebody else to do it. Yeah. You know, why? I mean, really, why does my job exist? Because, yeah, like you say, people aren't taking responsibility for their own health. Yeah, in large part, because Maybe. we help people move again. Mm. Like our remit here as a practice and the directive I give to my team is, right, we help people move. We get them moving again, teach them how they can do it themselves. And then we let them go and they come back when they need us. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes, and, and we still see it in practice, people come in and they expect us to do it. It's that right. abdication again going, right, you fix me. It's like, okay, well, I'll put your body in the right place, but you need to go and do this, this and this and this. Mm. But if they're not prepared to do that, or their lifestyle isn't conducive to it, then, you know, they're going to be back here at some point. And hopefully not with a worsening picture, but often it does happen. It's, yeah sedentary lifestyles have a lot to answer for because we just need to move you know tony riddle as we spoke on mm. earlier the guy doesn't have a chair in his house brilliant i know you know they squat down and if you watch toddlers they play mm. all the time and then they go to school and we put them in a chair and we wonder why hip problems occur mm. because they're not moving through a full range movement is fundamentally very simple move the whole body a little bit every single day same with nutrition yeah. do you need to eat three meals a day do you just need to learn what your body needs and, and ask yourself, how do I feel after this food? Yeah, yeah. Am I hungry? Do I need this right now? Exactly. And what do I need? If I Am need... I eating this because I'm emotional? Exactly. Yeah. And if I am eating it when I'm emotional, am I choosing something that's nutritious or am I choosing something that's really high in sugar and inflammatory yeah. raising and then give me a massive crash afterwards this but I feel worse again? I know. This literally happened to me yesterday evening. Yeah. I decided I was going to do a fast from about 2 p.m. until breakfast time this morning and it's now nearly 10 o'clock in the morning, listeners. Um... And um, it got to about 6 p.m., you know, the time that I would usually start cooking a meal. And I said to Nick, my husband, like, I was really very tired yesterday and I had this long drive to Suffolk ahead of me. I was like, I just feel like I need to eat a piece of toast. Like, can I just have some peanut butter? And he was like, no, I will hold you accountable for this. You are not allowed. Like, you're doing... Because <laughs> the thing is, I'd already eaten during the day my three meals. Yep. I'd had enough food. Like, I'd had enough fuel. I wasn't hungry. But my mind was telling me, because I was tired, yep. you know, our brains are so clever. If, if you feel down, they'll say, okay, where's the glucose at? You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Give, me, give me some energy, some injection of, like, sugar rush. Um, and I didn't do it. And I felt great. Yeah. Um, and that's it because your body has reserves it can draw on mm. and be absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so interesting. This has all been so interesting. Um, so before we go outside and get into a nice bath, you can tell I'm really excited. <laughs> uh, no, I am genuinely really excited. Um, I just wanted to ask you the last three questions that I always ask everyone on the podcast. Yep. Um, the first one is, if there's one thing you could do again in life, what would it be? This is one I've been thinking on the most that is the hardest for me. So I just decided I'd wait and see how I felt in the moment. If there's one thing I could do again, what would it be? A lot of people say nothing. I don't want to, I don't want to give you an easy way out, Tom, but a lot of people no, say nothing. No, it's not about nothing. There's, I'll tell you what it would be. And it's, now it's just come to me. I would be back in January of this year. Skiing is a massive part of my life. Mm. So I've skied since I could walk. So it's one of the things I always am really grateful to my parents for is like the best gift they've ever given us. Um, so I'm massively indebted to them and believe I need to pay that forward to my daughter. Um, she, is, she turned three in April and we were skiing in January and I got her skiing unaided for the first time. Oh, and I would go back and do that again because it was massive. It was yeah. so much fun. And yeah, she was brilliant. 
little yeah she's only a wee little thing yeah. i'll show you a video of it later but it's um yeah that's where i would definitely go back to because it was like proud dad yeah wife daughter me just what more could you ask well, on a mountain where my soul smiles anyway and then yeah, it just yeah, lifted just it that much moment. higher that's yeah. so great i remember when i learned to ski i've got a little picture of, they probably don't do it like this anymore but i just had some pink plastic plastic skis and they had just tied <laughs> yeah. my shoes onto the skis with some like string basically yeah, yeah. that was me and it was yeah it's come on a long way <laughs> thankfully that's so great um and what's one thing you would change if you could i after the conversation we've just had i would change the the mindset of an entire population around their health yeah. and make them accountable for it yeah if there's a switch we could just flick and then they suddenly have to do it themselves mm. i think it would change the game entirely mm. and also just the, the education and the knowledge is just not there for so many people and that makes me really sad because yeah. obviously what I try and do on an everyday basis is educate people about best practices to do with food to do with lifestyle to do with stress movement but for so many people in the world and you know I live in a little wellness bubble in London as you probably kind of do to some extent here in Suffolk yeah. for so many people in the world you know it's totally normal to only eat ready meals to only eat bags of crisps to sit on the sofa drink fizzy drinks drink fizzy drinks and and if we could just get that knowledge out there that these things are not conducive to long-term health and to living well yeah we would just be in such a better state absolutely so yeah. the answer is we need to change the education system as yeah. well yeah yeah because we need to take some of the subjects they learn and teach them health teach mm. them movement teach them health make it mandatory because whenever you look at the studies they do around um school-age kids where they make them run a mile every day attendance goes up grades go up mm. you know attention records all goes up it's not rocket science. Yeah, we just yeah. need to instill these things. Mm. And that's probably how we change an entire generation, an entire population moving forwards. Yeah. Incredible. Um, and finally, this, the podcast is called State of Mind. What does state of mind mean to you? So to me, it's that awareness and it's that pause, that momentary pause where you kind of have an input, whether it's emotion, whether it's um, you know a stressor of whatever it is. And in that pause, you are aware of what it is and where you want to take it, whether you want to let it run its course, whether you want it, you know, if a stress comes in, am I going to allow that to negatively affect me? Am mm -hmm. I going to take that and ride with it and go and then get really pissed off and angry? Or am I going to go, okay, that's how this person's feeling or this is how this has come in. This is my awareness of that stressor. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to move. I'm going to whatever I need to do to take it down my line and be accountable to that mm -hmm. and live that forwards for me rather than be controlled externally by other things incredible amazing thank you very much thank you so much it's a pleasure well thank you so much again for tuning in to state of mind podcast i really hope you enjoyed the episode as much as i did and have come away having learned some useful nuggets of information that you can put into your daily life like I said in the introduction, if you haven't already, if you would leave a review on iTunes, it would mean the absolute world to me. And I guarantee you, it will mean more to me than the time it takes for you to leave the review. <laughs> I'd love to get this podcast out to more people. So if you'd like to share it in your Instagram stories, tagging me, that would be wonderful. And I have another super guest for you next week and I'll see you there.